When I look at a picture of planet Earth taken from space, I don't see a big blue marble or a giant multicolored beach ball. I see a giant pizza with blue cheese and garlic cream sauce. And all the living creatures are trying to get their slice of the pie. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. We tend to think of treasure as gems and jewels in an ancient chest. But for many people, treasures are items tied to important memories. And when that item is lost, that memory becomes endangered. Chris Turner and Mike Pelly are just two of the hundreds of treasure hunters around the world helping to unite people with those losses. They're treasure hunters, and they're my guests on Life Slices. So our guests today are treasure hunters. They might call themselves something different. For those of us laymen, the easiest way to understand is that they hunt for treasure, but not the kind you think. They don't go deep sea diving to find ancient shipwrecks. They find it where we all live. So I'm going to introduce first, should we go age before beauty? Uh, Chris Turner, who is founder of the Ring Finder website. And Mike Pelly, who goes by the name Merman Mike, or as someone I know keeps calling him Mike the Merman. <laughs> so, and no, no relation to those of you old enough to remember, he's no relation to Ethel Merman. Uh, <laughs> I remember. I was so, going to say, it went right over my head. <laughs> so I want you guys to start by introducing yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves. Chris, being the foreigner in the group, I'll let you go first. Yeah, my name is Chris Turner. I'm from Canada. I created a global directory called The Ring Finders. And it's a a directory of metal detecting specialists that uh, help people find what they've lost. My name is Michael Pelly. I go by Merman Mike on YouTube or basically online. And what I do is I go diving in my local lakes and rivers, sometimes not so local, trying to find anybody's lost valuables to return back to them, as well as picking up all the trash while I'm down there. And it's just it's kind of like an addiction I have just being able to get something that is so easy for me with a scuba tank, but is almost impossible for somebody else without those skills. So now explain what you do. Let's start with Mike. What exactly is it you do to find these treasures? So I'll go scuba diving in the American river is my favorite place to go, but pretty much anywhere I'm requested to go, there's two types of dives I'll do. I'll do a free dive, which is I haven't been requested to go find someone's stuff. And if I do find someone's stuff on that dive that I can return, I'll go out of my way to do so, whether that's trying to find a picture of the person on a camera to then post on my my Facebook page to have that be shared and try to find that person. I've done that several times and have been able to find the owner of drones. And then there's when I get requested by people that either lose wedding rings or invaluable pictures on their phones that they weren't able to back up, things like that. I'll go out and try to go find that for them specifically. I don't charge anybody any money to go do this. It's just for me, if I can go have a lot of fun going and diving, because anytime my head is underwater, I'm having the time of my life. So if I can make somebody else's day, week, month, or year while doing that, it's a win-win for everyone. And Chris, how, how do you operate? I'm a lander. I, uh, I search land. I don't have the skills as Mike. I don't dive. I, I have a, a, a reason for that. But uh, I work with my metal detectors on land. I, I help people when they call me and where they tell me they've lost something, I'll come out and find it for them. I also don't do this for like a charge. I work on a reward basis, leave it up to people to pay what they can afford and what it's worth to them. 
So you're both in agreement on that. There's no rate for this. It's like, okay, here it is. You want to pay me? Pay me. You know what? I created a footprint many, many years ago. It it was on a reward basis. My directory has over 500 members now, and 98% of the members are working on that footprint. And we leave it up to people to pay what it's worth to them and what they can afford for us to come out and find it. All we ask for is cover our gas. So we're not out of pocket if we don't find it. And I can tell you, for doing it for so many years... I do what I call a lot of closure searches where people associate a loss by looking at their hand, ring is gone, and it has to be where they're standing, and it's not always that case. They'll find it days later in their house or in their car. I come in, I search the area, I tell them it's here or it's not. If it's not, it gives them closure to move on and start looking in other places. So how did how did you guys get started in this? Let's start with Chris. How did, how did you get started in this venture? Uh, Field and Stream magazine of my father's back in 1972. I saw a metal detector and I had no idea what it did. I asked my father, he told me what it did. He said, it finds treasure. I said, I want one. He goes, get a job. He didn't even think it. It's like right out of his mouth, get a job. So I worked all summer at a chicken farm. I made enough to buy my first metal detector and I was addicted. Uh, I loved finding relics and old, old coins and just had a time in my life. I had to put it aside because I played professional soccer. So uh, when I graduated high school, I went into the uh, North American Soccer League and played seven years there. And then I had a bad injury and I picked up the metal detector again and started just beachcombing in LA when I lived out there. And I had people coming up and asking for help. Uh, I had people in Cancun when I lived there asking for help. And this just made me realize there's a service here. So Chris, I I have to ask though, since you were a professional athlete, does your metal detector detect the metal in your body from the- oh yeah yeah it, i got a pin pointer i can get it right now and show you all the pins in my elbows and my knees so if i ever get buried somebody could find me <laughs> oh god mike how did you get started well i've always really had a deep-seated fascination for what's under the water i've always been curious of why we spend so much money on going into outer space and searching these other planets when we're not even done searching our backyard or even halfway done And it's always just boggled my mind, the amount of new species that are found every time someone goes deep sea diving and things like that. And then I've always loved helping people too. So I was watching YouTube a lot because I was supposed to get certified to go diving when I was 15. And unfortunately, I ended up breaking my collarbone and couldn't go to the certification class that was literally two days away. So I wasn't able to get certified then. And then every single summer after that, for whatever reason, I had an excuse of I'm too busy this summer. I don't have enough money this summer. I'll do it next summer when I have time. And then I was watching a lot of YouTube videos of two guys in specific. One is Jake that has a channel called D Almighty. And then another is a guy called Dallas that has a channel called Man Plus River. And they're both treasure hunters that do the same thing in the river and they go out. I always thought you had to have a lot of money or live right next to the ocean to be able to go diving. They kind of showed me that that wasn't the case. You just had to have a decent river or a lake in your backyard or in near you and you could go. I immediately, I got a wetsuit and I went out to my local river. I didn't know I had to have a wet, or I mean, a weight belt or anything like that. So I couldn't really get any far down. But I think that day I found like a pair of sunglasses or something I was able to find. And I was just elated by it. I was like, oh my God, it's not on just a YouTube channel. Like I was able to go find this. So it, it just put this fire under me. And in about a month, I was able to go get certified and actually be in the water. And just like Chris, same kind of thing happened was I was out there scuba diving 
and somebody came up to me and was like, oh my God, my son just dropped his phone off the paddleboard and it's his brand new like iPhone 11 and he hasn't had it for more than a week or two and just right over here, is there any way? Because it was 15 feet down, there was no way he could have gotten it. And I was almost out of air and I was like, oh, sure. I mean, I might as well, it's on the way back to the ramp anyway. And it's not too far down there to where if I did run out of air, I couldn't make it back to the surface. But obviously that's not a game you really want to play too much. (laughs) But uh, I was able to find the phone and return it to him. And it, it was awesome because after that, a lady named Karen got a hold of me let me know about a camera she lost in another lake and I was able to go find that for her. And it ended up having over 2000 pictures of her and her mother and her mother had passed away and she didn't have any of those pictures backed up anywhere else. And it was just this beginning of an addiction of realizing that I could, I could basically do a very little amount and it could mean the world to someone. And that was just, it's this amazing feeling that I can't describe. And I just, I needed more and more of it. And I just, after that, more and people kept asking me for help. And I just, I kept going and I kept finding things and I can't find it a hundred percent of the time. I'm not going to lie. I'm not perfect. There's been a lot of failed searches, but I'm going to always give it a hundred percent of my effort and time and all the air I have. Because for me, I, I make it a very personal thing. I'm a very empathetic person and I'll put myself in their shoes because I've lost a loved one before. So if I lost something of value and I didn't have the money, the last thing I would want someone to tell me is like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't have $50 or whatever it is. Like, I'm not going to go search for your lost one or your loved one's valuable, you know? So Chris said he asks for people to pay gas. Do you ask people to pay for your air? Um, I don't, but I also have a lot of donors that are nice enough just to they literally call my dive shop and I've had two people so far fill up my air card with 20 air fills. It's this really nice thing of like, I'm sure if I needed to, I I might have to at some point, but I'm also very, very close to a lot of the destinations I have to search. I'm not against that, but I don't ask for anybody to fill my air tank just because I haven't needed to yet. What kind of equipment do you need to, to do what you do? It's it's metal detectors, yes. And there are so many different types of metal detectors for relic hunting, for beach hunting, for gold nuggets. Uh, there's underwater machines, VLFs, pulse induction. Every metal detector is different. We'll get you different depths. We're all guilty of wanting the ones that give us the best depth because we don't want to miss it. Plus, we know that if somebody comes in before us with one that's just a, you know, a, a radio shack kind of metal detector, they're going to miss it because they're only going to go a couple inches where we can go two feet, you know. So you have the best equipment, but it's more than the equipment for what we do. You have to be a good detective. You have to ask the questions. You have to get yourself in the area. Like I was looking at your video, Mike, the one that you found the one ring, but you didn't find the other for that lady in the river any any reason why you think you didn't find that she kind of caused a pretty big scene when she lost it understandably she said she had a lot of people out there like trying to help her and unfortunately yeah. that also brings out what i like to call pirate people that find something that they could easily return and decide not to and profit it off yeah i, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that because when i watched that video where you found it in the kelp or the grass there perfect hiding spot there was a lot of places it could have just sat up on around it i was just curious why you thought and yes when people get frantic they really give the location and we got to pray that everybody's doing the right thing you know there, there's still a chance that when she came off one ring went this way one ring went way away these are funny things and funny places where we find them 
And I hate giving up much like you. I take it personal. I, I come in there with the belief and hopes I'm going to find it and make somebody happy today. And when I don't, it just pulls at me, you know, but I can only do what I can do. But I always think of why they show up where they do. A lot of times people say I was here, my rings fell off. I go there, there's no rings. And they're asking me, is your equipment any good? It's like, oh yeah, your ring's not here. So what else were you doing? Now, could have her ring came off before there? That's a possibility. She said she felt them come off, but it's common to have the engagement ring in front of the wedding band. Absolutely. And I searched that tire area. That was the third time I had to search there. And I plan on going back and doing another search. But yeah, usually what I'll do is I'll stake a stake with a bright colored line down there and they yeah. just start doing bigger and bigger circles around that. That way I'm one, not missing an area and two, not just relying on that small area they told me case it is that would not come out where they thought it was. But my fear is that she said that there was also people basically grabbing handfuls of the kelp and whatnot. Could have buried it deeper maybe? Or could have just grabbed the kelp, not so seen it in there and released it down the river. Down the river, because, yeah. yeah so the ring's think... not going to go down the river on its own. But if no, it's it, it, in a no, big clump of seaweed, that'll carry it right down. As far as uh, equipment, Steve... Most of my members, and there's a lot of us, over 500, I don't know too many people that just have one machine. We have multiple machines for different searches, different coils, different sizes. We're going into all kinds of searches, much like you, Mike. I have members that dive, and oh my God, they're fanatics. Like one guy in Washington, D.C., guy got drunk and threw two, three rings overboard, and it took him 20 visits and this is why I say ask for gas money because he was driving over 100 miles each way, 20 visits, figure that out. And it, he found one of the three rings. It was thrown in a marina off a big yacht. These people had money. It was a big ring. He found the money ring. Like it took him 20 times, almost over a month to find this. And he had to get uh, hire somebody to watch like a spotter because where he was in marinas, boats are coming in and out, which... You would know if you've ever done a marina, very dangerous. So he had a spotter. He was in there for hours and hours and hours. He found the money ring, the big, big engagement ring. And marinas are always, almost always no visibility too. Those are terrible for searches. And much like you with the corkscrew, you know, where you drop and spin around, he had all kinds of different methods he was doing. And it's just a process of elimination with rings and where people think they lose it. You go in there, you grid search, you extend that grid and exhaust the area to where you know you've done everything you can. Yeah, that's the thing. Just kind of justifying in your head of like, it can't be here. Like, and I'll do just a double check and make sure. But like, I just, that closure as well as you said of just, even if you can't finding it, letting them know that it's not there, it's not going to be found there is oftentimes a lot of a relief as well, because then they could go search in another spot or maybe they go, that's right. I was also here or I also did this. Steve, I had a, a seven calls in a row last year during COVID was my busiest year. I had more calls than ever. And I remember seven calls in a row where these people had lost their rings in a playground with their kids. I get there. And again, the question, you know, okay, so what makes you believe you lost in the playground? Well, I, you know, I got home tonight and I realized my ring was gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got home. That's when you realize it. Everyone said by the time they got home, they realized it. So there's a playground and it's, yeah, you could have lost it there. But what did you do after the playground? Everyone said, well, I went to a gas station. I went to a department store. I went to grab some groceries. I said, go back to all these places, contact the managers, put a lost poster, let, let them know there's been something lost possibly in their store. I think it was three or four out of the seven 
it was already turned in and was lost after the fact. So there's your closure. When I tell him it's not here, what did you do after? Then he started thinking, oh my God, okay. Yeah, it's again, detective work. When you're asking the questions, you really got to ask the questions and know what to ask because it could save you hours and hours of searching. I actually drove about an hour and a half away to a lake to search for somebody's wedding ring. And he was just thoroughly convinced of where he knew the spot was. And I went out there and I searched for four hours until all my air ran dry. And I was just, I, I'm sorry, the, I can't find it. It's not here. It was the middle of winter. I was freezing. He finally, like later on that day, he got back home and was looking at a bunch of pictures and he sends me a picture and we were not even in the right area. It was one of those things that like, I wish you would have done a little bit more of like sending me the picture beforehand. And I learned from that experience to ask a lot more of like, okay, are you positive, especially without a town trip? Those kind of things that were just like, oh, I could have found it had I just known that little bit of information, or at least I might've been able to find it. What are some of the most interesting things you have found? I found a voodoo doll in the river that was taped around a rock. I brought that home, and then a week after I got in the car accident, I found voodoo jars that were, like, wax-sealed, and they had, like, chicken's feet, peppers, and different, like, hair and things inside of them. Now, we, found, we didn't talk about where you're located. Where, where are you located, Mike? Um, right outside of Sacramento, California. What uh, is I, going on in Sacramento, California? A lot of witchcraft, apparently. But uh, I found a bunch of cremations um, under bridges is usually what happens is there'll be like half empty bags. And what I can only assume is nerves get the best of people and they don't realize how heavy those ashes are. So right. when they're dumping them over the end, the weight comes and clumps over and takes the rest of the bag out. So usually what I'll do is I'll empty the rest of the remains out of the thick plastic bag and then throw away the plastic bag. I can't see anybody making the argument that they wanted their loved one to be in a thick plastic bag at the bottom of the river instead of the actual river. I found a Model T Ford wheel from 1908 that has 12 wooden spokes. I found that just under the surface and I thought it was just going to be like an old bike tire or something that I was going to pull out and throw away. And then I started to look at it, realized the wood and all that stuff around it. Do you oh, ever God. find anything of, of great value that someone is not looking for that is just yours to keep? So far, I found one engagement ring that I just found on my own, and I was on a free search, and there's absolutely no inscriptions on it, nothing unique about it, nothing. I can't get it back to its owner. I think the most expensive thing I've ever found was the $17,000 ring for a guy named Bill. And he dropped his ring. He was a music producer's and his brother had passed away and he had this really nice ring that looks like a Super Bowl ring. I had no idea what I was looking for. I just knew I was looking for a ring. It was in the Sacramento River. I ended up searching high and low. I had to do a bunch of different strategies. There was a really, really strong current that kept getting me lightheaded trying to work against. After all of it, I ended up finding it and it was with this little pinpointer I had. I didn't even have a metal detector. I was able to find it, and the guy had already gone home, basically assuming that I wasn't going to find it. He appreciated what I did. He said, thank you so much, man. If you do find it, call me. But if not, I understand. And he went home, and uh, I got to FaceTime him and basically show him the ring on FaceTime. And his face lit up, and he came back, and he was actually nice enough. I was talking about, hey, if I don't find it this time, I am saving up right now to get the metal detector of my dreams to help more people. It's an underwater metal detector. It's called the Excalibur uh, 2. It's basically one of the top of the line underwater metal detectors. 
and he was like, so how much was that again? And I was like, I mean, it was $1,500. I would never expect anybody. And he pulls out this lot of cash that he got from the bank. And he was like, I would like to get that for you. So you can then give this feeling to other people as well. And it was just the most amazing pay it forward. And like I said, I feel like if I had put a charge on going to find that ring, like $50 or $100, it would have ruined that moment because then it it's not something that basically I didn't have to help him. He didn't have to help me, but we got to do that for each other. And it was just one of the most incredible feelings. And it ended up going on national news and all over. And it was just Chris, you had, you made the national news or international news with a ring you found. It was um, in Vancouver. Uh, John Cryer from two and a half men was out here filming. And I got an email one morning. It just said, I lost my ring. It said, John Cryer on the email, but I just, I didn't know who he was. And I said, I'm not familiar with this area. Can you, can you send me a Google earth? And he sent it to me and I looked and it was bike path and a walk path concrete with three feet of grass in the middle, separating the two paths. And I just looked and I said, look, man, I go, he probably, if I would have known who it was, I would have said, you, you only have a two and a half percent chance to find it. But he had like a very slim chance of his ring going into the middle there. It should have been by all rights lost on the concrete and somebody picked it up. I said, I'll come and I'll give you closure. And that's what I always do, give people closure. And I found it and I was able to surprise them. My YouTube channel, The Ring Finders on YouTube, is reveals and showing people their rings and seeing their reactions. And much like you, Mike, it's the best feeling in the world. I found a way to use my metal detector to help people. And I've been able to help other people, like 500 members now doing the same thing in 22 countries, really heavy based in the United States. We're all getting to feel what it's like to, to help someone. And you don't ask for anything. We don't ask for anything. I've done it for a homemade loaf of banana bread. I've done it for uh, for a smile. I don't expect anything more than what they can afford. I've been surprised many times. John Cryer's ring was uh, wonderful because I knew when I found it who I was finding it for. And I thought if I could find this ring, it could bring some attention to our directory, which needs more attention. And we got it. My God, we're still feeling what I call the John Cryer effect and still getting phone calls from it. It just justifies what I created and why I created it because these objects are just a connection to loved ones, to to your ancestors and handed down for generations. And it ends, that story ends when it's lost. And we get to continue that story and see what it does to people. I, We need more good news in the world. We need to see... I played professional soccer. My first acting gig was with Johnny Depp. The best thing I've ever done in my, my life is helping people. I absolutely love it. Tell us the URL for your website. www.theringfinders.com We have a book of smiles with over 7,600 smiles on there. Testimonials, blogs. It's, it's a beautiful place to go and just read up and see what these little objects mean to people. The hardest thing, like... Mike was saying, when you find a ring with nothing on it, it's virtually impossible to find the owners. What I've created here is a way for people to find us. I probably have 70, 80 rings in my my safe with no names attached to it. I hold on to it, hoping one day somebody says, hey, I saw your directory. This is a long shot. Ten years ago, I lost my ring. And I could say, yeah, I got it. So it has happened to some of our members. It's a wonderful feeling to see the reactions. That's exactly why I have my treasure room is just for that chance of somebody seeing my YouTube channel in a year or two years and being like, Oh my gosh, that was my great grandfather's 
passed down pocket watch. Yeah, then I don't have to tell him like, oh, I'm sorry, I sold your generational valuable for $50. Right. Have you ever had more than one person come forward for something? And, and then how do you tell between them who's the legitimate owner? <laughs> I can tell you, I I used to post it on Craigslist and I had to stop posting it there because of the amount of fraudulent calls I got, the amount of people claiming it's their ring. Hey man, you found my ring. Fantastic. Describe it. Does it have a diamond? And this is on the phone. I'm like, I thought it was your ring. You tell me yeah. what it was. And they're like, click. And then the next day, the same guy with the same number calls me and goes uh, with a different voice. Hey, I, I think you found my ring. And does it have two diamonds? I go, dude, you called me yesterday. <laughs> and unfortunately advertising people want something for nothing i'm praying that they'll find the directory they'll reach out to me they'll tell me their stories and where they lost it i've got it marked down i've got it where i found these objects and i hope one day i can get it back it's almost impossible to post a picture of a ring or something like that if there's not something unique or hidden that you can then keep to yourself and have so they have some sort of way to let you know that there's theirs like what does it say on the inside it's a very unique inscription or something like that and it just it's a really bitter feeling when you find a ring that doesn't have anything because yeah the normal person would be like oh my gosh you found a diamond like you're rich but like for me that rich feeling is being able to return it and getting that person's reaction because that reaction is always my favorite if i had the option to find somebody's gold ring and a gold bar i'd go for someone's gold ring because you always have that story too. You get to always, it's like this encyclopedia of goodness. I'll, I'll tell you a story really quick. If our members get calls for not only rings, but for, for stuff that had been buried on properties. And funny you should mention gold bars. He found 60 gold coins, one ounce gold cougarans that was buried by this young man's father 30 years before his father had passed. He remembered the story about the gold being buried and where it was buried, they got a backhoe, they dug up the side of, by the side of the house by the corner, couldn't find it. And I was talking to the member and I said, well, don't get too tied into the story because it could have been a different corner. You only have four corners. Go check the other ones. And he found it. And this is the kind of guy he is. He was left alone today because the gentleman had gone out to the store. His wife was still in the house. He gets down, he gets a signal, he starts digging, he, saw, he sees plastic bags and he rips it open he can see containers he stopped the dig he waited till the guy came home and he let him dig it up he said your father put this here for you guys he goes i want you to be the first to dig it up and hold it so i mean again beautiful and these all have stories and like you say the rings that you find those stories end we're fortunate enough and good enough to help continue these stories which i think is you know we're blessed and lucky and do you medley tech that much Mike, or are you more like a freelance eye eyeballing underwater? Underwater, I mainly do the freelance eyeballing if I'm on just a regular search. But if I'm searching for someone's valuable, I always break out the metal detector. Well, first I'll do a couple passes just by eye, because as soon as you break out the metal detector, visibility underwater starts to go Absolutely. real fast, especially when I'm in lakes. Yeah. If I'm in a river, the current brings it down and it's not as bad, but lakes are off. So I always try to go by eye first. And if I can't find it by eye, I'll bring out the metal detector. But I have actually been getting into some on-land metal detecting. My dad has about 20 acres up uh, by a place called Auburn up here. And it's yeah. really popular for uh, gold mining back in the day. And they used to have old like Chinese camps that were set up. And I guess the old owners of the property said they used to find these coins not sure what the currency was, but they were the ones with the square yeah. in the middle of the coin. Yeah. I went over there and I searched one of his fields and I found a bunch of these square nails 
that I thought oh. were just the coolest things. They were yeah, like yeah. handcrafted by blacksmiths and things yeah. like that. I found what I think is a trigger to an old gun. Cool. And it just like it just brought out this like really wanting to go and find it. And I was getting all like scared because I was like, oh, I don't want to make anybody mad over here because I'm digging holes. I'm filling them up and whatnot. But like I was trying to make sure I was being OK. And my dad's like, what are you talking about? I've got a tractor. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you your website, The Ring Finders, how many people are on that? And geographically, where are they located? We have Five to date right now, and it continues to grow. We have 520 members, 22 countries, very heavy base in the United States. If you click on it, you'll see we have probably 85% of our members are U.S. based. They grasp the concept of what I created and what I started. And I got to tell you, I'm extremely proud of the people that have joined. They're amazing people. Much, much like you, Mike, can just see the passion of returning something and what it means to you. And you're a perfect fit. I mean, it's what we do and why we do it. And we get a treasure hunt every time a phone call comes. It just continues to grow. The smiles continue to grow. And as we get bigger and more more visual, people seeing us more, which they are, we're getting a lot more calls. I believe my directory now is getting between 30 and 35,000 hits a month and higher in the summer. Is there a fee to join? There is. There's $65 for the year for one town, city, or beach. There's packages you can buy if you want to have a 100-mile lock. A lot of people are doing that inland. It's, Mike, it, you you're, you have a YouTube channel. Uh, yes, sir. What's, what's the YouTube channel called? It's called Merman Mike. You ever you give know? consolation prizes? Like, I couldn't find your ring, but here's a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> this but, has been fascinating. I am overjoyed listening to you guys and the the sense of joy that you get from the work you do, which is not really work. It's what would you call it it's not even a hobby like a calling <laughs> yeah it seems like it's a calling it's like there is this drive in both of you that is that makes you want to do this uh for for me steve it started out as a hobby i never saw it grow into what it's grown to now i just sort of fell into it to be honest with you i had my little business here called finders many years ago like i've been doing this for 30 years I returned over 600 rings. I think on my directory, this one, I have over 300 recoveries. With the help of a complete stranger that I haven't met to this day, he helped finance the ring finders. He said, I love what you're doing in Vancouver. Have you thought of helping more people? I said, yeah, it's a money thing. He says, you build it, you create it, and I'll pay for it. Well, guys, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating show, and you guys have been great. And much continued success finding stuff. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 